in. Uh, so it's Super Bowl Sunday, one of my favorite Sundays of the year. Is it anybody else's favorite Sunday? I think it's uh, football and you know flag football, which my team will probably win. And uh, it's actually it's kind of like a sad Sunday. Is there any like Atlanta Hawk fan? Uh, Atlanta Hawk, Atlanta Falcons. I forget, you know, all those Atlanta teams get jumbled up, you know. Is there some Atlanta fans in here? And then any? Is there any? Thank goodness. I Oh, well, we got one Atlanta jersey over here. This is really sad. Yeah, this is really sad. Uh, well, I'm thankful. I actually, there's no team that I hate more than Atlanta. Um, so I hope they get absolutely destroyed. And I, and I love wow. New England today. So... I mean, they, they're basically the only team who um, knocked off Carolina Panthers last year, right? They could have been perfect. But um, and, and, um, my favorite player of all time is um, Jake DeLome. Y'all all know that. Going to the, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. I really love – y'all don't even know who that is, do you? Anyway. Uh, so, John, John, let's see how much further I can get in trouble here. Um, John called me up on Tuesday, and he's like, you're preaching. You got this. You're preaching on Melchizedek. Does anybody even know who that is? Is there any? Okay. By a show of hands, how many people know who that is? Does anybody know who that is? Okay, not many. So we got some work to do here. I'm in a lot of trouble already. But I'm excited. It actually takes a little bit of setup for this story. So we're going to start back in Genesis 13. And you'll find out about somebody new, kind of a peculiar guy in the Bible. I kind of like mysterious guys. I like strange guys. I like people who are, there's kind of um, a different story out there about them. So so it, it, the backstory really even begins with an even uh, more interesting guy named Lot. It, who y'all know is um, Abraham's nephew. And Lot is such a, a strange bird to me in a lot of ways. If y'all have looked at this, the story of Lot, how he ends up in his life is so weird on so many different levels that I don't even begin to know with, uh, how to start with the weirdness. So, so he ends up obviously in this strange place at the end of his life in a cave with his daughters in this incestuous type relationship with, with, you know, his family. And it's so strange and weird that you kind of begin to get this picture of Lot as being this guy who's obviously, Lot is one of the um, most evil men in some ways on, on the planet. And in the Old Testament, you have this guy, Lot, who makes wrong choice after wrong choice after wrong choice, right? And so, except the only good thing he does is that he follows Abraham. And he begins to follow Abraham. So if you only had the Old Testament, when you look at Lot, you would say that Lot was this, just this guy who was incredibly wicked and ended up in a place um, that was completely destructive. And uh, he's really got a pretty bad sob story in a lot of ways. But, but fortunately, the New Testament actually gives us some interesting information and commentary about Lot in 2 Peter 7. If you want to turn there, you don't have to. It'll actually be up there. And um, Actually, keep your hand in Genesis 13, and we'll go from there. But uh, Lot actually has some, some infor, information in 2 Peter um, um, 2, 7. Is that up there by chance? Okay. So I want you to read this and just see it. This is, this is New Testament commentary on Lot. And if he rescued, this is speaking of God, had rescued righteous Lot, 
greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Uh, uh, then verse 8. For as, th as that righteous man lived among them, day after day he was tormented, his, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Now this is the same guy who ends up in Sodom and Gomorrah and ends up you know, in the midst of um, all this wickedness and seems perfectly okay with it, uh, according to the Old Testament. This is the same guy who ends up in a cave in drunkenness with his daughters and, and essentially um, um, passing his line on down through his own children, which is a stranger's story, which we won't go to. But in the Bible would say that, that Lot was righteous. That is interesting to me. This is, this is really interesting to me and, and will help us pick up the story. But that word righteousness is actually the same word righteousness uh, um, that we see in Romans 4 in talking about Abraham. Do you have that passage in Romans 4? It talks about Abraham and it says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's actually the same word, righteousness, as you would see with Lot. Um, so, so essentially... The word righteousness just means that they're in right standing with the Lord. Positionally, they are okay with the Lord. So Lot and Abraham are both positionally in the same place as one another before the Lord. They have just as much access before the Lord. They have the, as much opportunity to experience the Lord as one, or not, as one another do. And so this makes Lot... A most interesting character for us, understanding the rest of his life. Because we understand um, through the New Testament a little bit that, that he was oppressed by the, his surroundings. But what we're dealing with, and this is why it makes Lot's story so interesting as we get into it. That, that Abraham and Lot being um, positionally the same person. So all this has to do with is their quality of daily life. Um, uh, let me read it this way. All this has to do with is the quality of their daily life of saved people. And it is in no way a contrast between the saved and the unsaved. So this is a contrast of two characters in the Old Testament who are saved people who we will see in heaven one day. But their daily life was completely different than one another. In fact, Lot maybe besides Samson to some degree, I don't know, Samson had a little bit, he had like the, this, um, I might want to be Samson a little bit more, even with my eyes poked out, if I had the, the strength that he had, I would just love to be really strong, um, uh, but, but Lot may be the most miserable person, uh, saved person in the Old Testament. He may be the absolute saddest story that we have in the Old Testament of a saved person. And so we're going to get this contrast of two different people and where they end up with this, this character Melchizedek. So let me pray for us. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity just to open up your word. I pray that you would help my ungifted mouth and you would um, help the hearers uh, of this word just to receive it and that it would um, bear fruit in their lives, Lord, and that you would... Get all the glory in this, Lord. I pray that you would give us this, this contrast 
of two people, one who decides to follow you and one who decides to run from you, Lord. And, the, and, the, uh, and just how it affected so much of their everyday life. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we pick up in Genesis 13 with these two guys. Now remember, remember where Abraham is at in Genesis 13. This is interesting as well. There's so many strange stories. This is how you know the Bible is real, because I would never write this stuff about myself. Because remember, remember that Moses had just come out of Egypt. Where What had he done to his wife? He had, sold, he had basically gave his wife over to the Pharaoh and said, hey, lie for me. This is my sister. You know, uh, this is, this is, say you're my sister and go into his harem. And then in the midst of his harem, he, Pharaoh has a dream and says, get out of town and I'm giving you some stuff. But, but Moses had gone on a, in, in, a, in a period at least of unfaithfulness to the Lord. The Lord did not tell him to go to Egypt. And he is coming out of his own period of unfaithfulness to the Lord himself. And so this makes him really, um, really interesting. So you see in verse 1 even, So Abraham went up from Egypt, and he had his wife and all that he had, and, and Lot with him, into Negev. Now Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and gold, and he journeyed on from Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Now catch that. He's coming out of a period of just running from the Lord. Where does he end back up when he starts pursuing the Lord again? Back at the beginning. When you run from the Lord, oftentimes you end up where you started. Now, if we're talking about moving forward, and we're talking about moving forward just in our relationship with the Lord, um, know this. Know if you begin down this path of running from the Lord and what the Lord intends for you, he's going to have to take you back to a place of beginnings. And many times it's with, he brings you out with, you know, um, with restoring the situation that you were in. He came out with more goods, but he is starting back where the Lord originally took him to in the, in the, in the initial part of his journey. And so as he's moving on, it creates this, um, this struggle and this strife uh, between him and Lot. There's this struggle and this strife, and this is where we're going to pick up uh, really Lot's story. In verse, uh, skipping down to verse um, um, 12, we're going to see what happens as a result of them uh, really growing. And, and their herdsmen begin to fight with one another, and they're, they're, it creates a major issue for them in that there's just not enough resources to go around. But starting in verse 12, it says this, Abraham, or Abram, excuse me, settled in the land of Canaan. While Lot settled in the cities in the valley, and he moved his tents as far as Sodom. Oh, I'm reading the wrong passage, aren't I? My notes are all mixed up. I'm sorry. Um, We're actually starting in verse 8. Can you skip back up? I'm going all over the place, Brandy. (laughs) Skip back up to verse 8. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate before me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if, if to the right, then I will go to the left. And so you could, um, you could say that they're presented with a problem. There's an issue here. And we're, be- we're beginning to see what to do in the midst of strife. And this is the Christian life. I, I want you to know that the Christian life is really tough. 
and really messy. The Christian life is not perfect by any means. And it's full of failure and messing up. And it, like I just think of my own life, and especially early on in my Christian um, years, I thought that if I just got myself together, that everything would come together right. And, and I've found that to be, I've realized more and more the depths of myself and how sinful I really am and how messy things can really get and how things just get really messy in between even other Christians so often. And the need for discernment and wisdom and understanding in those things. And really, um, the, the importance of faith in Christ, and this is where it brings us to places of strife. Each one of us is going to experience so much strife in this life. This life is full of tribulation until we go to be with the Lord. It is going to be one big mess after mess after mess I'm learning. And we're going to spend our time really seeking the Lord in that, in His best wisdom. And you see they're presented with a problem here. Um, they're, they're presented with a problem on which way to go, to the left or to the right. Now, most of us find ourselves in similar type issues and this becomes the biggest question I ever have for college students, with college students, all right? Especially college students that are struggling with their relationship with the Lord. Should I go to the left? Should I go and do this? Should I go to the right and do this? And, and they're constantly asking this question in so many different forms, in various ways, is what do I do in the midst of present your problem, question, any number of things, right? And so... This becomes a question for all of us at times. What do we do in the midst of going to the left or going to the right? Whether it would be a new job or a new relationship or any number of new things that may come our way or problems that may take place, what do you do in the midst uh, of these things? And that, in any number of scenarios that we have a choice. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Therefore, being always, uh, um, then this is verse 6, you don't have to turn there. Therefore, being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And here's the, the, the opportunity that is presented with, with this all. In the midst of problems, scenarios, things that we have to decide whether to go to the left or to the right, all the different things that we have before us throughout even our day is the opportunity to walk by faith or to walk by sight. Now, walk, walking by sight is obvious. It's easy. It's making a decision based off of our external circumstances. Excuse me. So you look at what's before you, the scenario that's put before you, and you try to rationalize in your mind, what is the best scenario for me? What is the best thing for me? You look at maybe, um, the, where's the most money? You, maybe you look at, um, when it comes to a relationship, college students, you look at who's the hottest. I have two options. I have either the ugly one or the pretty one. Which one do I go with here? And, and you look at it, you, I'm going with the pretty one here. And, and uh, you, So you make a decision based off of, um, which may not be the best decision, as you will see, I think, uh, hopefully. Uh, um, you make a decision based off of being, um, looking at your external circumstances in some form or fashion. And, and you, make, you make a decision uh, quickly. 
and out of, um, not in a rational type way, but solely based off the external. And rather than walking in faith, where you have the opportunity to seek communion with the Lord, and the Lord wants to naturally work out these problems and scenarios that you may be in, and you have the opportunity to seek the Lord and to know, know His hand in things, and He wants to reveal Scripture to you. He wants to give you put people around you who have answers. He wants to help you work through these different scenarios that you might have and lead you into every uh, opportunity that you may have so that you might most glorify Him. And yet, so often, myself included, we walk by our sight. And we see this with Lot. We see in, in Genesis 13, we see Lot lifted up his eyes. In, in uh, verse 10, I'm sorry. Um, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from, uh, from each other. Lot made his choice based off of what his eyes saw. This is, and this is the trick of the devil. This is the trick of the devil every single time in our lives. He, he points and he pushes you to external circumstances, to look at external circumstances, to use your senses, your, your feelings, those different things that, um, that would, would inhibit your flesh in some form or fashion, he encourages you those things, and he presents you in three different categories according to 1 John 2. You know this passage well. For all of the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, the, the enemy is going to try to trap you in one form or fashion. As Lot looked on to the, the, the valley below, and he sees, he sees this, this beautiful grass uh, or this beautiful fields. He made an external decision. And here's the thing. You and I have this opportunity where we are actually stepping outside of the realm of, of this earth. We have the opportunity as believers to actually have a heavenly citizenship where our vision, where we're making decisions, how are we making decisions are actually as if Christ was making those decisions for us. We have a citizenship that steps outside of the external and goes into a spiritual realm that's completely different. You have the opportunity to flow in the spiritual as opposed to the, the earth. In the Revelation, it would say that, that people who make decisions solely based off of how they're feeling What's going on around them? What they see them? They call them earth dwellers. Revelation's kind of got this weird language. Sometimes it sounds like a sci-fi movie. I, I like it. I love it. <laughs> it but, but it says if you exist in this realm only and you don't see outside of it, you are just an earth dweller. You just live here on this plane and this plane it, and you live for this world and nothing else. And so you have opportunity actually to overcome the world through a life of faith, according to Revelation as well. And so as you go down that line of becoming carnal, and I'm using the word carnal as Lot is becoming carnal. And, is, and, and carnal just means you're becoming controlled by your flesh. 
Remember, this is the most miserable place you can be in, in essence. I mean, we see this in Lot's life. As he goes down this line of being an earth dweller, his only line of thought, his vision is becoming singular to what is in front of him. His, his line of vision, all he understands, all he reconciles, all he knows is exactly what's in front of his face. And that becomes the most um, pitiful way to live your life. Making decisions where you don't see anything in the future to come. You have no understanding of what's coming down the road or anything to put your hope or promise in uh, or that you're holding to any type of promise is, is a pitiful way to live. It's a miserable way to live. Because you are making decisions moment by moment trying to figure out uh, what's going to be best for you in any situation or scenario. And you become just as a mere man and nothing more. And the Lord has given us so much more, many more opportunities to really step outside of just being a mere man, to step into the heavenlies. So catch, um, catch here how we really see Abraham... Abraham, verse 12, though, he presented this opportunity to, to, to Lot. And Abraham, after Lot made his decision, Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley. And he moved his tents as far as Sodom. So see what um, Lot is doing. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and exceedingly sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all of the land which you see I will give to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land, Though it's links in his breast, for I will give it to you. Then Abraham moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. So we see Abram, and we see Lot. And we see back in verse 12, Lot was camped out. He had a, some distance from Sodom. Y'all know Sodom, right? Y'all know what Sodom is, Sodom and Gomorrah. That's the, the, probably one of the most evil places ever, it would seem like, because it was so evil that the Lord brought fire down on it, uh, fire and brimstone, and essentially wiped it out. Two different cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. And, um, and Lot is, for some reason, something within Lot is beginning to attract him more and more to this city of Sodom. His flesh is growing in him in such a way even though he's being, he, according to the New Testament, there's this, on the one hand, he's being tormented by his sin. His sin is actually, is actually tormenting him. He's, he's miserable. He's miserable as he's drawn closer. But there's another side of him, this carnal side, that's so attracted to it, he's slowly moving closer and closer to that thing. I mean, that's just the way sin works in the carnal life. It creeps closer. It's never really a run most of the time. It's a creeping closer to the carnal life. And, and yet we see at the same time the access that Abram has to the Lord in which the Lord is opening him up uh, all new places to him. 
new, new hopes, new dreams, all these things that he has access to. The Lord is giving him new vision and is moving him closer to the promise as he decides to be a man of faith as opposed to in chapter 12. Now remember that, that Abram was a man who ran from the Lord for a period of time, a small period of time, but he made a choice to return back to the Lord and, and come back to the Lord. Whereas Lot, we see him being a man who's continually running from the Lord, creeping, creep, creeping closer. And here's what will happen as you are like, if you're like a man of faith, as you move into new places, as you begin to set your hope on places, this gives you an extraordinary ability to set up altars to the Lord. You see what, what Abram's life is becoming about. It's becoming a life of, that wants to honor and worship the Lord. It's a life that is, is desirous to give God the glory with it. It becomes less actually about Abram because altars aren't about yourself as much as they are about worshiping the Lord and giving glory to the Lord. It becomes less about Abram and more about the Lord. In fact, the place that, that he's going into is not about Abram receiving the glory in this or Abram's name being established, or his future name, Abraham. It's about the Lord's name being established. The Lot's, Lot's desire as he moves closer and as he even splits and, and, and all these things, he, his vision is becoming solely focused on Lot. Solely focused on Lot. And this is, this is becoming more and more miserable. And then we're going to see in Genesis 14 this, this interesting chapter that nobody really works through a lot of times because of this strange character. Mel Melchizedek, you can turn there. <clears throat> There's this war that takes place. The, the war of the, um, the four kings versus the five kings. And this is actually, if you're, anybody's interested in is archaeology or all those different things, if there's any nerds in here. This is actually, some of this is kind of verifiable in, in um, history. You can go back and work through some of these stuff. And they've dug up some of these kingdoms. Uh, and it's really interesting. Uh, but, but there's uh, this war of the four kings versus the five kings. It's not a Lord of the Rings movie. It's actually a true event that happened um, in the Bible. My humor is terrible. I'm sorry. I, I, don't, I don't care. And, uh, and, and uh, so we see this thing take place. What happens is Lot is so close to Sodom. That in the, midst of the, in the midst of these battles taking place, he gets caught up in the middle of it. All right? He gets caught up in the middle of these battles. And we see in, in verse 11, and Then they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food supply, and they also took Lot and Abram, uh, Abram's nephew and his possessions, for he was living in, so in uh, he was living in Sodom, and so we see him get caught in the the ultimate place of destruction, and we see where his life is in in a sense. We see the ends of the choices that he's making. One of my favorite theologians, I hope you can um, I hope you can um, read with me on this. His name is C. H. McIntosh, and he's got some really good insight as as to uh, Lot's life. All right. 
He says this, C.H. Magadash. I'm going to put it up on the screen. It's got some old English and can be kind of confusing. So um, just try to stick with me if you can. But a uh, uh, lot is uh, really interesting here. Or his thoughts on Lot. However, although uh, Abraham was not affected by the battle of the four kings with the five, yet Lot was. His position was such as to involve him in the whole affair. So long as we are enabled through grace to pursue the path of simple faith, we shall be thrown completely outside the range of the world's circumstances. So catch this. If you are a person who set your hope in the heavenlies, and you set your hope on Christ, you are outside the range of the world's circumstances. Hey, listen, uh, um, whoever you're pulling for in like politics, you know, and whoever won, that doesn't, you're outside of that. You're outside of that. You, that you don't have to bother with that. It, not in the sense that you shouldn't have compassion and shouldn't um, be a, a good citizen of this earth as well. Now, that's not what I'm saying. But it doesn't have to make you bitter. It doesn't have to turn you into a person who's angry at everything else around. It doesn't have to affect you the same way. Because you exist in a higher plane. You, you don't exist within the world's circumstances. That even goes to, to sickness. And it, like, listen, my family is, I've been doing nothing but uh, um, holding people's heads while they throw up this weekend and changing diarrhea diapers. Now, that sounds really gross. And it is. It's the grossest thing. And, um, um, and everybody's been sick in my household. Now, I can let that be, dictate to me how, who I'm going to be in the Lord. That allow my circumstances on a very um, easy level, allow that to dictate who I am. Or I can exist outside of that. And I'm not saying I did it all perfectly. There were sometimes I was like, Rebecca, you're going to have to change this diaper. You know, but, uh, but it, it, I don't have to let that affect me in some ways. Okay, keep on reading. All right, moving forward. But if we abandon our high, if, but if we abandon our, our high and holy position, as those whose citizenship is in heaven and seek a name, a place, and a portion in earth, we must expect to participate in earth's convulsions and vicissitudes. Now that's a big word just to say. If you want to draw near to the earth, uh, if you want to be an earth dweller, you better be prepared to experience the earthquakes that go along with it. Be prepared because the world is leading to one place. That is a place of destruction. Be prepared to be in the midst of that, to experience those things, to let your, that your family would be rocked by those things. If you want to draw near to those places and put your hope in those places, your world will be rocked repeatedly. Your life will be full of anxiousness. Your life will be full of no peace. You have the opportunity to exist on a higher level. Lot had taken up his abode in the plains of Sodom and was therefore deeply and sensibly affected by the wars of Sodom. It must, it must ever be thus. It is a bitter and painful thing for the child of God to mingle himself with the children of this world. He can never do so without serious damage to his own soul. 
as well as to the testimony with which he was entrusted. And so ultimately, Lot ends up a complete slave to the world. A slave. You and I have the, the opportunity to exist out of that place. Lot finds himself in the midst of a battle, slaving the enemy, in essence. A slave to the enemy. He had a hope and a promise put before him. He had an opportunity to exist outside of that. He had opportunity to be somebody who walked in faith, and yet he found himself a slave to the world. And you and I, the closer we draw to the world, the closer we have our eyes and our vision set on the world, the closer that we find ourselves drawn to Sodom, or the places, the people, the portions of this world, the more we will find ourselves slaves. Even, listen, listen, folks, I, even if I make my good Christian home the place in which I will find peace, the place that, that, my, um, that I can go and rest is that maybe I can just go home to my good Christian home and lay my head at night and, and find peace and rest in my soul in that place. I can't even find peace there. I will not find any peace in that place. I can't even make good Christian things, idols, in which I try to move closer to and try to fix and make them work. You trying to get your life together, you trying to have a good Christian home, is not the place in which you will find rest. You getting an education and a good job in something nice for yourself uh, in, in terms of the world is not the place you will find rest. You will find that this place convulses and there are earthquakes all over the place that will destroy you ultimately. You will find yourselves um, destroyed. If I set my hope in anything other than uh, being a man of faith who places my hope in Christ, I will find myself over and over let down, anxious and without peace, and not knowing which way to go. And then we see Abram pick up the story and become um, the man the Lord is intending him to be. In that we see he with 318 men, I'll just read it for you. Um, Genesis 13, 14 says, When Abraham heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night and his servants and defeated them and pursued them to Hobath, uh, north of Damascus. So not only does, does he have this opportunity, do we see Lot become a slave, and Abram steps in here, and he becomes a conqueror of the world. A man of faith steps in with 318 men. Only by the Lord's hand would he be able to do this. He is able to. And I like what C.H. McIntosh again says in this. He says, there are three things which faith does. It purifies the heart, it works by love, and it overcomes the world. And all these results of faith are beautifully exhibited in Abraham on this occasion. 
His heart was purified from Sodom's pollutions. He manifested genuine love to Lot, his brother. And finally, he's completely victorious over the kings. Such are the precious fruits of faith, that heavenly Christ-honoring principle. And so we find ourselves where Lot was a slave and Abraham needing to set him free and Abraham being the overcomer, this man of faith. And moving down to this most interesting character, and this is where I'll end, because our time's coming to an end already. Stick with me for this last part, okay? Because it gets really, it gets super, super interesting if you stick with me. And then these kings, these winning kings are gathered at the end. And we see two kings in particular, all right? In verse 18, and Lot's kind of out of the picture at this point. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and he said, Blessed be Abraham, uh, Abram, by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me persons, but take the goods uh, uh, for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal or a strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. Now this is interesting. Two kings, all right? This mysterious kind of character, King Melchizedek, King King of uh, Sodom. Now, Hebrews tells us who this king Melchizedek is, okay? And this is why it's super interesting. Hebrews tells us that this is Jesus who shows up on the scene as a forerunner um, to Christ's coming. That this is Jesus as in the Old Testament. That this is Jesus who is um, actually over Jerusalem. Salem was just another name of what they think to be Jerusalem. And that this is Jesus who shows up on the scene and offers him bread and wine at this point, which is significant. Uh, uh, you know, you know, and, and Psalms 114 says something similar to this effect. Now you have another king, the king of Sodom. The king of Sodom, what do we know about Sodom and Gomorrah? The most evil place. The most evil place. Here's that, after a victory, the man of faith, is is on cloud nine in essence. He's a he's a man who is um, who's seen great victories won. This is the place in which pride has its ability to find a home. Pride has the ability to find a home. You think you have just defeated sin? You think you just defeated alcoholism? You think you just defeated being angry all the time? The king of Sodom will show up every time and offer his services to you in the midst of that. The king of Sodom will show up every time. And yet, we have our answer right before us to the the whole, um, where do we find peace? It's in the Salem or that word Salem means peace, all right? So the king of peace was on the scene. Melchizedek, his name means 
means righteousness. So the king of righteousness was on the scene. He, he was a high priest before the Lord. The person who is going to intercede for you is on the scene there. And the question that I have, the question that I have in the midst, and, and I would pose to you, um, us who are struggling with anxiousness and struggling through this life, is where is Lot? Where is Lot? He's just been set free. He has the opportunity. He has an appointment with the king. He, they're about to take communion. The, the communion is put out here for us um, this this. This morning, if you're interested, this morning to partake in it. And the worship band can come up if, they, if they'd like. Uh, we're almost done. The king is there, and he's available to him. In fact, we see Jesus have mercy on Lot once again when he's in Sodom and Gomorrah. And rush him out of his sin. Pull him right out. He's got to basically drag him out of Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't even want to leave in essence. This saved man, a righteous man. And he doesn't even want to leave this wicked place. And so he has this opportunity to meet with the king, to commune with the king. Here's the deal. I, like I said, I may make any number of things the answer. Uh, I may make Getting my life right, I may make um, having a Christian home the answer. I may make any number of things. What Abram is figuring out here, and as he's becoming a man of faith, is to place his hope and trust in the King of Righteousness, in Him solely, the King of Peace. That's where he's going to find his peace. It's not in getting your life right that you're going to find. If you heard anything. Please do not hear that I'm saying Lot needed to get his life right. He will never get his life right. He will never get his life right. The opportunity that he has is to have communion with the person whose life is right. He has the opportunity to have communion with the, the Prince of Peace. He has the opportunity to meet with him. And I would say the same thing to us. God has done everything that he needs to, everything to make a way possible for you to have peace in this life. To escape the anxiousness in which you may be experiencing currently, he has an opportunity as you place your eyes on Christ, as he's seated on his throne, he says, look to me and commune with me, take and eat of me, and you will experience perfect peace in that. A peace that passes all understanding, that you have no idea where it came from or, or why, except that it was something, a work that Jesus did in your heart. There, there will be no getting your life right that, that will give you peace or anything of that nature. And so we're going to just take some time this morning, and if you're just a person who's um, in a place of... Uh, of just great anxiousness and struggling with uh, uh, where your eyes are focused during this time, 
Maybe it's just the time for you to come and, and take some of the Lord's Supper. Or come down and have some people pray on you and lay hands on you. And, and just tell you quietly and, and prophetically over your life, Hey, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He will satisfy everything that your heart desires. He will satisfy everything that you are longing for. And there are many things that many of us are trying to fill our lives with currently, myself included, that do not satisfy whatsoever. So partake. Abraham was looking to the future king that was coming in taking the bread and wine. We're remembering what's already been done. We're remembering that it's all been covered. He's completely made a way for us to enter into his presence. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for that presence that draws near to us and provides perfect peace over our life, Lord. I pray as my brothers and sisters here, um, um, we have the tendency to place our eyes in places so often that are drawn to this world. And we think so often that we can just get our life together and it'll all be right. But Lord, like Lot found, that place is a miserable place and ends up in places of destruction. The only place that we have to put our hope is in the, in the finished work of Christ. And you've offered us the opportunity to communion with you, to take and eat of you. I pray that if there's anxiousness this morning, Lord, you begin to release it from people's lives. I pray that if there's places that um, people are just really struggling through, if they don't know the answer, I pray that they would draw near. And Lord, that we would um, have an experience of you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.